Friends, we've got another great episode of the podcast for you today. But before we get started with that, I just want to remind you that we've got an opportunity for you for just 20 bucks. What can you do for your leadership for 20 bucks? Well, I suppose you could grab a book on Amazon, but I want to invite you into what I believe is the best kept secret in Christian leadership development right now, and it is the Right Side Up Journal. Now, we are a coaching organization. We've coached leaders for many years at Stay Forth. I've coached leaders for over a decade. But what I was seeing is that leaders would head five steps ahead during a coaching session, and two weeks later would kind of move two or three steps backwards. They were making progress, but they were losing some traction in the process. So we took about a year and we designed a journal that for 10 minutes a day can help you gain clarity, can help you take next steps. I have it open right in front of me here on my desk. I utilize it every day. And the Right Side Up journal is built to help you live and lead right side up in an upside down world. Friends, it is hard to stay focused. Overwhelm is, I believe, at an all-time high. Burnout is all too common today. We want you to live and lead right side up, and we have designed the Right Side Up journal for you. On the left page, you can plan your three blocks of the day. You can batch, you can block, you can stay clear, you can know if you succeeded when you head home each day. On the right side of the page, there's spaces to fill in, to doodle, to write quotes, to answer hard questions, to make sure that you don't miss the thoughts that come to you. Friends, this was designed in the trenches for leaders who are in the trenches, and we want to invite you to pick up a Right Side Up journal today. It's a three-month journey, and for just 20 bucks, you can get four of those for the whole year. You can journal your whole year for 10 minutes a day for just 80 bucks. I don't know where you can go for 80 bucks and get that kind of clarity, those kind of practical next steps. So pick up a copy of the Right Side Up Journal. If you don't like it, email us, let us know, and we'd be glad to give you a refund. That's how much we believe in it. Just 20 bucks. You can help to clarify your next steps and take them. Many teams are going through this together. Leaders from across the country, we send these out um, every week from probably all 50 states now at this point. We have a few we've sent out internationally as well. The Right Side Up Journal is designed for you. Any leader with any kind of influence who cares to steward it, you are invited to pick up a copy of the Right Side Up Journal. You can head over to rightsideupjournal.com. That's rightsideupjournal.com. You can find it in the show notes. You can also head over to stayforth.com and check out our journal. Friends, your leadership matters too much. The impact of leaders leading poorly and the impact of leaders leading well is significant. The question is, which of those will you be? We want to invite you to live and lead right side up in this upside down world. Now, on to our next episode of the podcast. I changed what I was going to share about based on this this morning. Um, because nobody who's ever picked these images has ever said that before, ever. And um, I get to interact with a lot of leaders. Uh, I'm a coach. I've worked with um, church planting. I've worked with uh, now a lot of CEOs, and I get to do consulting. And uh, every problem is unique. Every issue is unique. Every organization is unique. And here's the problem that I see is, unfortunately, within the church, we are lagging behind, and I believe we should be pushing the world ahead when it comes to creativity. Our world, um, I believe, needs people to lead the way and lead the space in creativity. And let me just say this, leadership is creative work, period. So the only thing in here that I disagreed with is that you don't have a creative bone in your body. Uh, but I hear that all the time. Because we've defined creativity so narrowly. We've defined it as right-brained. We've defined it as um, drawing, painting, sketching, taking photographs, which, by the way, with new filters now, everyone's a professional photographer, so there you go. Um, the barrier to entry is very low. And I love this quote, Seth Godin. Um, he says, not all artists can draw, but all artists can see. Do we see what God is doing and unfolding in the world around us? And I believe creativity is the necessary practice for leaders in this age and the age to come. Like it is so important because leaders, entrepreneurs, apostolic leaders, frontline leaders, those out on the edges, the borders, um, see problems and say, we've got an issue here. 
How are we going to push into it? Leadership is wilderness, period. And so I love the different perspectives coming in here. It sounds like a lot of you guys have leadership experience already. I heard a phrase recently that resonates with me, new levels, new devils. <laughs> there are new fears at every level. There's things that I don't know at every level. The moment I start to maybe feel proficient at it and go, oh, this could be a good ride, bam, the next challenge the next promotion, the next idea, the next step off of this bus and get onto another bus. And that's just how it goes. And so those who want to head into leadership, or as I talked to my daughter the other day, whether you want to or not, I'm sorry, you are an influencer. You change the mood of the room when you walk in. That's how God built you. I'm sorry. That has nothing to do with your mom and I, but you have to steward it. How, how matter, no matter however you got the influence, you got to steward it. And you'll have to answer to God for that. And yet, it intersects in this age today. Things are moving so fast. They used to say, yeah, about every five years, things will turn over. And then uh, maybe every two and a half years. And now they're saying less than a year, information just turns over. What was current before is no longer. How many apps you think, oh, this is going to be the one? Where'd that go? Periscope or whatever that was for you. It's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Where is it now? What happened? And there is such a rate of change that today, as leaders, we have to be unlearning faster than we're learning. The humility that's needed today, the relationships. We were at breakfast talking about relational and experiential learning. You've got to figure out ways to combine those on a regular basis with the formal education that you're getting here, which, by the way, is your responsibility not an institution's responsibility to go get that for you. And that's primarily a space I've worked in for the last uh, really 13 years. Church ministry and leadership, I have four kids, and that included our first two uh, through adoption, the miracle and process of adoption. Uh, I have seen anything and everything. I don't think you could surprise me anymore about sort of the, some of the ugliness of humanity and of leadership, and I've seen the beauty of the church launched out into the community. And... I figured I might as well uh, learn a little bit about it in process and write a book about it. And so these thoughts are kind of caged within um, this idea of everyone's a genius and uh, this idea of unleashing creativity for the sake of the world. Many times we want to unleash creativity, but we want to do it for the sake of our organization, and so we get credit. There's a few problems with that. One of them is the scarcity mentality of we're going to do this, but we're going to brand it for us. Whereas for the kingdom, it goes out to wherever people will go. I'm a leader here in Colorado, which means people leave us a lot. They come to us frequently, and they leave us even more frequently. And so people are here for a certain amount of time, and we realize people are going out all over the country, even the world, going to these places. We can't control them, and yet we get to steward them, disciple them, train them, equip them for a particular season. There's a, a TED Talk that really grabbed my attention, and I had to do more research. And so in Greco-Roman times, in antiquity, they used to say a phrase slightly differently than we do, and has really gotten my attention, and I would say shifted my paradigm. They used to say, you have a genius, like a muse that would visit you. And so would anyone say they do graphic art in here, um, photo, pictures, write music in here? Anyone? Everyone's scared, like, oh, okay. Uh, so if you've done this, maybe even as a writer, I know there's times you're just on fire. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know how to reproduce it. And that was what they'd say, like, the muse comes and visits you and visits you. Whoa, like, I'm just feeling it today. Um, and then there's every other day, right? The other 94% of the days. Uh, and so as I began to dig into creativity, I was hitting some roadblocks uh, with my time and my energy and you know, having multiple kids and trying to write a book and, oh yeah, doing everything else to pastor and lead and, and equip leaders saying, how can I do this? And when I think about this idea that everyone has a genius, today we say you are a genius versus you have a genius. Think about the pressure that's associated with art today, especially if that's going to hang on a gallery wall. There's a gal who she had committed to make a certain amount of pieces before the deadline hit. She knew the deadline would force her to do that, and the pressure was immense. Writing a book, the pressure is immense. You have to deliver this thing. The whole world's going to see, and oh yeah, they're going to critique it and chop it and tell you how good it isn't in, before it gets out there. By the time you get out there, it's just like, I'm already beaten and maimed. Sure, just throw it out into the world. I don't even care anymore. And that's the reality many times of creativity. But 
what if we viewed it in that older lens to say, maybe we've kind of prostituted creativity. Maybe we kind of prostituted leadership and leading the way from, I got to get it right. It's got to be amazing. It's got to be perfect to, I'm going to take the step of vulnerability, of fear. And what I found is I've talked to hundreds of artists now of all shapes and sizes and colors and uh, you know, niches and dreams is, is this one thing. We all have fear. It's fearful every time. It doesn't get less fearful. Sometimes it gets more fearful. You write the bestseller, you have an amazing album. Good luck on your next one, they say. The moment that you win that you know, Super Bowl or whatever, the mic's going in your face and they're going to say, how does it feel and do you think you can do it next year? That's the reality, the pressure. And yet it's flipped on its head if we say, here's the good news. We don't go into leadership wilderness alone. We have a genius. We have the Holy Spirit. Comfort, truth, wisdom. Then in those moments of fear, you go, I just don't know what to do. I mean, I've helped people make decisions, like harrowing decisions in leadership, um, either as a friend or as their coach, from do we reorganize this whole thing, which means the staff members lose their jobs, which means people have to move this state and take their kids out of school, real stuff, to a guy that I was coaching that said, I don't know what to do. My brother's gotten himself into some trouble. Somebody said that $40,000 has to be delivered by this time or they are going to kill him. What should I do? Cheers, leadership. Leadership is wilderness. And the further I dig into that, I would say probably the more fear that we feel, not less. And there's this idea that someday I won't feel that fear. And by the way, I'd love to chat with you guys uh, after this. I've carved out some time. So if, if any of you guys have some time, I'd love to chat. Time is always limited um, within classes. But I want to... Um, I want to share just, just three cultural drivers that I think maybe will set up this class well and will set up um, your guys' study of, of leadership. So I'm kind of just trying to bunt the ball today to get the game started a little bit for you guys. Um, and that first one is fear. Our culture right now is swimming in fear. So for you to take a step in fear, when we all know you're scared to go for it, to ship it, to launch it, to release the thing when it's in pilot form and it isn't you know, ready yet, to say, I'm just going to go out there, I'm not ready to make this decision yet, but here's what I'm thinking about, that you're actually pushing against that fear within our culture today. The second one uh, is self-obsession. Like the selfie culture today, I work with a lot of business leaders in the business space, it's everybody's building their own brand. Everybody wants a platform, oh, building my own brand. And so simultaneously trying to work over here and build maybe the kingdom as Christian leaders, maybe build the organization and build the brand. That's a whole lot of work to be building three things together. This idea of self-obsession, I think, is wrecking the creativity that heads out the door and out into kingdom work. And the last one is one that's actually giving me great hope. And it's this question, this idea, what is the good life for you? There are these longings today for the good life. I was just coaching a leader this morning, actually, early morning coaching session this morning, and uh, he owns a couple of companies. His family uh, literally goes on vacations for three months a year, and he just sort of like the company maintains itself. And we're talking about what is the good life for you? He has enough money, enough provision, a couple homes, owns an office. Uh, he could leave the business today and just be fine. But the question is, what is the good life? That's what I asked my neighbors on Friday morning when we drink coffee together. We've done that for eight years. And our story um, is just a story. We keep showing up and seeing what God does. And by the way, I brought a few copies. If anyone needs more reading to do in a leadership class, feel free to take one. Um, we just keep showing up. But we ask people, so what is the good life for you? And we get to the deepest conversations. And so I think those three kind of set the stage for us. These cultural drivers, fear, self-obsession, and this search or this longing for the good life. Like what, what is that? And I just want to challenge you guys as you're in a leadership class to say that the good life for you in leadership is not what it's going to be for somebody else. You have a unique fingerprint. And maybe one of the most healing phrases that I get to say to leaders, caught up in the pressure. Like there's so much weight and pressure if we let it get to us and think we're a genius. I have to maintain that. I have to be amazing every time. I have to hit it out of the park every time. Instead to say that if you just keep doing your next right thing, just take your next right step. Just solve the next 
problem. Just discern from the Lord the next decision and see where God takes you. And the question that uh, many people say is, did you think you'd be here right now? <laughs> did you think you'd be sitting right over there right now, Tim? Did you think you'd be in that seat right now? And of course, we all look back and say, no. And yet we look at the future as if I'm going to be in this exact seat and I want to get there. Leadership is wilderness. And yet there's good news is I truly believe everyone is a genius because we have a genius, right? The play on words, I'm messing with you in that, but everyone has a genius. And there's an unbelievable amount of unharnessed creativity because we've said creativity is for some people on stages, creativity is for some people in galleries, for some people over here who write, uh, who speak, but creativity is not for you. And I've heard that so many times. I don't have a creative bone in my body, and I just don't believe it anymore. And I've learned this phrase, I don't receive it, mostly from my kids when they come in with some whining or some entitlement or whatever. No, I don't receive it anymore. Or the fear that I feel, oh, you can't do this. No, I don't receive that anymore. And to head into this wilderness, it's scary. It doesn't do us any good to think that it is not. Think about the things you say. It's different. It's beautiful. There's a creator behind us. Therefore, when we create, we're literally living out the image of the creator. Like you are imaged to do this, to create. You have a unique fingerprint. And this healing phrase is... You're completely unique. Nobody's ever lived that's like you. Nobody ever will be. But here's the good news, too. You're completely normal all at the same time. I think Satan wants us to believe one or the other. Satan wants us to believe that either uh, everybody's done it like that and you're just one more person or you're a freak. Nobody's ever felt fear before. Nobody's ever not known what to do before. Nobody's ever had to go ask a friend before. Nobody's ever had anxiety before. Nobody's ever felt crippled by this decision before. I don't understand it, but you're completely unique and completely normal all at the same time. And I think that's a, a good, maybe, primer to, to leadership, to, to lower some of our expectations. Um, I want to I talk about two different divides that I've seen with a massive uh, chasm in between. Number one, over here, many times in culture, we will talk about a culture of maybe a business, an organization, a church. Many times in churches, this is true. There's a falsely humble culture. It's like, no, no, it's not me, it's God. Um, and so people end, end up saying, well, leadership's not valued very much. Stepping up's not valued very much. Creativity, innovation, anything new. So therefore, this side of the divide, we are going to not feel empowered we're going to not step up, and we're ultimately not going to use our gifts. Over here uh, is sort of devaluing leadership. Over here is overvaluing it, right? It's a prideful culture that says, you step up in leadership, now you're somebody, you're something. And within every culture, by the way, what gets celebrated gets done. What gets celebrated gets done. And so if I want to know your values, I would just say, what do you celebrate? I would look at your time. I look at your money. I look at where you put your best fist pumps, and then I get a little convicted about how I jump around for every Broncos touchdown and think, ooh, man, do I celebrate other things like it? What gets celebrated gets done. So therefore, leadership is just put on this pedestal. If you're a leader, you are celebrated, and then there's a whole bunch of people who say, I can't live up to that. What we're looking for is halfway in between, an empowering culture, an empowering culture. And so not one where people feel underutilized and bored, maybe this falsely humble culture over here. The chasm, again, of this prideful culture over here where it says you're somebody because you did this, because you're in this role, because you're in this position. And that has awful effects. And we've seen many of those in the church today. We hear those in the news. But this in-between, I think that's the tension. Leadership is wilderness and leadership is tension. And if we can live in the space of empowering other people, of saying who God built you to be and to do, that's what matters. And the word I like to use is design. What is your leadership design? Who's God designed you to be? And I can guarantee you this. When you just try to copy somebody else, all you'll give is a crappy version of them. <laughs> that's no apologetic right there. That doesn't, that's not winsome. That doesn't taste and see that God is good. That doesn't bring people toward this aroma of Christ to say, what is that? But I've gotten to hear these stories of people who own 
boutiques and people who own roasteries and breweries and people who are running construction agencies and yet have said, like, we got to do this thing. we got to go out into the community. Like, this is where I am, the person that God has made me to be. I was telling Tim, I was up in Sterling Correctional Facility, and you go through several sets of doors, and I was not prepared for the best sermon I've heard in the last few years by the head of uh, Department of Corrections here in Colorado. And the dude is living out his faith and bringing dignity to people he feels have never had dignity. There's a guy who his creativity is being released to a place I never saw it coming for the sake of the world because he believes that humans are created with value and that's the space he lives it out. The dude doesn't need to go give sermons in a church. It needs to do exactly what he's doing right now. And so I want to encourage you, when your leadership path doesn't go the direction, to lean in, there isn't one position I can live you're not a failure when you're not a pastor, church planter, a CEO. You have to figure out who is God designed you to be. Now, somebody mentioned comparison in the exercise earlier. I call comparison the creativity killer. And we've never had more devices and mechanisms to pr- compare ourselves than we do right now. In the church world, it's the church down the street, the leader down the street, that conference, that thing, that stage. Guess what? If God wanted you to lead that church, he'd have put you in charge of that church. You don't live in that part of the country. You don't lead there. That's not your space. But what is your space? And the irony is that while you're comparing yourself to somebody else, thinking you're not enough, somebody else is comparing themselves to you and thinking they're not enough. How jacked up is that? Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy, distract, disconnect, disengage, all words of death. But I've come to give you abundant life. And what saddens me is that many times leaders today think that abundant life is a unicorn. They heard about it somewhere in a book, but it doesn't actually exist. And voices from the trenches, I want to remind you that it actually does exist. There's so many leaders living the good life and leaning in. And it's hard, but it's good. And that is possible to to live creatively. Yes. Wow. Uh, So much is packed in there. Do we see unhealthy leaders? Are there healthy leaders? There's so much involved in that question. Let me start with this, ambition. Um, I had the privilege to spend three days with Eugene Peterson before he passed. We're sitting on his porch looking out at Flathead Lake in Montana. Not a bad setting for leadership to happen. And his thing, he would always talk about ambition, can't take ambition away. We need to train ambition. We need to see ambition in the right space. I've worked with church planners. Now I work with entrepreneurs. I am entrepreneurial, which means I start stuff and struggle to continue it. And, you know, that's my, my issue. Everybody's got an issue. And ambition uh, is great in doses, and it's lethal in doses as well. And the question is, what do we let it do to us? And so, to lead is, I mean, that's, that's ambition. Even if you say yes to something that you didn't want to lead, it still takes enough ambition to think you're crazy enough to step in and actually say yes to God. And yet when ambition gets a hold of us, we actually lose the why behind the what. And so much of it is a why issue. Is that, and, and I work pri- primarily with leaders who are overwhelmed and who don't know it but are heading toward burnout. I call overwhelm pre-burnout. By the way, it kills our creativity it kills our empathy, and it kills our courage. Overwhelm is a massive deal today. When I am tired at the end of the week and my kid does something, I see the problem in what they're doing that inconveniences me. I don't see the kid. I don't see the need. And so there's a paradigm I'll talk about in a second, but I think that ambition has a place. It has to. I think God built us with ambition, with dreams, with drive, with desire. But a lot of today's hustle culture is... I mean, if you just have to work harder, work 90 hours a week so you can crush it, I'm sorry, I'm out. And by the way, limits create innovation. We think that innovation comes from freedom and blank canvas. And I love blank canvas. Whoever said the sheet is the blank canvas, awesome. I I love that as well. But the reality is that innovation actually comes from limits. 
I've never been more creative with my time than I am now with four kids, multiple things going on. We've just taken the jump to literally train leaders all over the, you know, all over the country. Um, and sometimes we don't have to get on planes. Many times, most times, we don't have to get on planes to do that through technology. As we say, I have never wasted as little time as I have right now. I've never been more creative with this. I've never had more limits on me. Each day I get up and I could tell you 17 things that are limiting all the things I want to do. And again, I choose to say, I don't receive that. I choose to see, God, where's the space in there? Where's, it, where's there the crack? But it takes that kind of ambition to get back up, but to say, I can't do that alone, especially when I'm worn down. Willpower wears off. And, and I heard this phrase recently, it's so good. I think it was John Ortberg that said, habits eat willpower for breakfast. And so that's, I think, why we're returning to liturgy today. I think that's why we're returning to rhythms today. Because we realize, I've tried hard, I've tried hard, I've tried hard, I've tried hard, and without community and without rhythms to ground me and cut deeper channels, um, I can't just keep doing that. The hustle culture, white-knuckling leadership, and I see that everywhere. If I could just do this, or, you know, a leader the other day, was saying, oh, I'm just not good enough in this, and I'm just not, and I'm like, but you're awesome at a bunch of other things. Like, let's talk through that. And so I think number one is ambition. Number two is um, Ephesians 2.10, kind of the, the starting spot, I think, for this paradigm shift. And what I've seen is leaders chasing impact at a million miles an hour. I'll do whatever I can to get that impact. And I don't know about you guys, but man, when, when I was 19 years old, all I wanted to do was change the world. I'll do anything to get it. Well, then you get married, then you have kids, and you're like, actually, I won't do anything to get it. No. Uh, I have changed fundamentally. And so if you'll do anything to get impact, then you'll do anything to get impact. If that's the paradigm, what gets celebrated is done, if that is the end. And yet, what I see in Ephesians 2.10, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And that would be enough right there, period. Whoa, that's incredible. But here's the good news, ambition. He's got work for us to do. But it's workmanship first and then works. And what I love about that phrase, workmanship, is like it's craft. You talk to somebody about their craft, it's personal. You go critique them about their craft, you're going to get punched in the face. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, or tears or something. It's personal. We are God's poem, literally, translated. His song, his art, his craft. But there's good news. We have work to do. But we work from identity, not for it. We work from workmanship, not for it. And so it's, I'm seeing this move among leaders. And by the way, it's a quiet move, and you don't hear about them. There's so many faithful leaders out there that you'll never hear about who are saying, there are days when I have to choose identity or impact. And on those days, I make the choice to choose my identity, who I am over what I do. It's health before impact, identity before impact, workmanship before works. And here's the crazy irony of the way God built it, is that when you get healthy, you do have more impact, and it's actually sustained impact. It's just not sexy. We just don't talk about it in our culture. We don't celebrate it in our culture. We love the quick start. We love the large launch. We love the business that went, you know, one to a million by Tuesday. Um, and that's one in a billion story that we hear. What about everybody else? What about the, just the slow gain of influence that God is doing something unique in their life? Identity before impact. And it, we've got to make this choice early on to say, in those moments, I'm going to and define this and get practical about this. What does it look like to be the who before the what? Because here's the reality, guys. When we, when we go after the what, when we try to get impact so that we can earn our identity, it always gets weird, doesn't it? Like, maybe not a crash at 180 miles an hour into the wall, Maybe not 180 degrees off, but maybe 1.8 degrees off when you find yourself going, how did I get there? Where the friend calls me and, say, and says, marriage is done. We're done. What? Where'd this come from? Yeah, I just like quit on the church. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know that I want to risk it anymore. I just want to work during the week and hopefully save up enough to buy cool toys and head to the mountains on the weekend. I'm out, man. <laughs> Like, where, where did that happen? And so I think there's the slow drift. I think there's the painful hidden the wall. We hear those in the news. The slow drift, by the way, I think grieves me even more um, because I, I could see it happening so easily to me and anybody else. Um, 
And some of the things seem egregious. You know, you hear in the news, go, I can't imagine doing that. And yet the slow drift, I think many times that we're, we're prone to wander, and we're prone to wander usually in degrees off in that sense. And so there's so many different ways I could uh, take that thought or that question. I'll encourage you to say there's more of that going on than you think. And I'm getting to meet more of those than you think. We were at a table the other night eating some delightful tacos and incredible desserts, um, talking of the things of the soul. We weren't, hey, what about this? And what's the best way to do this? Grow this, crush this. It was all heart level. That's what we're going for. And there's more leaders having those conversations than you imagine. They just don't make the news. They just don't make the magazines. They just don't make the blogs. Um, and we're trying to get the message out there uh, more and more. And that's why we started a podcast. The world doesn't need one more podcast, but it needs conversation from the right people. Uh, it needs to normalize that to say, actually, that's what we're going for. And there's a whole bunch of people saying that's true. Um, Barna did a study called The State of Pastors. Uh, raise your hand if you think you'll head into some kind of church ministry at a level. Okay, some of you guys. Um, I feel I, I'm a massive, massive local church guy. Also, I'm wired for business and entrepreneurship. And so I feel like I translate between worlds here. So no matter what space you come from, uh, this was very telling. And so Barna did a study on, uh, this, they call it The State of Pastors, and they surveyed thousands of pastors and sort of the latest research. And uh, the findings, the overall thesis uh, that David Kinnaman writes about that, that Barna found from this is that he said, we don't need stronger leaders in the church today. We need more resilient leaders. We don't need stronger leaders in the church today. We need more resilient leaders. And I think we focused on leadership strength for so long. And what about leadership muscle memory? I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to get back up again. And in an age of change, in an age where creativity is necessary just to survive, where people tell me their church turns over every two or three or four years because people move away or are onto something new, like change is necessary. Reinvention, reimagining is so necessary. We need resilience if we're going to continue to just keep showing up, which, by the way, is about 78% of the battle. <laughs> just keep showing up. We have the choice. And so I just think that's so freeing to so many of us. You might come in here saying, I don't know if I'm a strong enough leader to even take the class, even be considered for this role, to apply to this thing. We all feel that insecurity. But can you keep getting back up and being faithful to what God has done? Identity first and then impact. By the way, Scripture is riddled with that. Jesus talks about roots and fruits. And I think we're in a world today that we're like shining fruit uh, and going, oh, yeah, I want some of that fruit and we're so busy, we're actually like shining the fruit that we forget to actually water the roots. It's going to keep producing that fruit at scale, multiplying. Yeah, okay, great. There's internal limits and external limits. And internal would be ones we've, cre we've created ourselves and that we are, like nobody's imposing upon us. The school is a little bit interesting in that you're told what to read. You're told the assignment. You're told the things. The rest of, the li of your life, you need to know how to learn, not just being told to learn or what to learn. Does that make sense? And so some of the internal limits now are going to shape you for external limits later, right? You learn internal discipline now. It's easier to, uh, you know, when a boss says you have to have this in by Tuesday, you've already sort of trained yourself to be able to do that. So I think the principle here is actually structure and order. So there's a phrase I love, um, somebody smart said chaotic, is that everything like in, in business, I mean, just sort of the way that God has built the world is chaotic. There's chaos and order. There's structure and there's freedom. And there's a ditch on one side and there's a ditch on the other side. And to continue heading down the road, we have to have enough structure and enough freedom. And based on how we're all wired, I'm an Enneagram 7, I love me some freedom, the reality is uh, I think I want way more freedom than is what is actually healthy for me. And so the limits is what make the other space actually freeing. If vacation were every, time, every day all the time, then it's actually not freeing anymore. It's fearful. But because we know where vacation lives, we can take a lot of it and have a lot of fun and not think about it because we know work lives here. So I'd say internal and external limits. Think about both sides of the spectrum, um, chaos and order. Uh, the structure piece is uh, we have a love-hate relationship with it. And here's what I'm finding with really, really busy leaders is that people you wouldn't think waste a whole ton of time, and then people you think are super, super, super busy 
uh, actually have time and space for you. And so unfortunately, the first thing people think um, when they call, I remember this reality about five years ago. Um, I was a pastor. I was a pastor for 13 years, doing leadership development on the side, and I actually just jumped uh, two months ago to do this full time. Uh, and so I'm still sort of adjusting to that new. I have a lot more freedom. Um, and remember somebody called and said, hey, I know you're really busy, but later in the day, hey, I know you're really busy, but. And I realized the number one thing people think about pastors in the local church is we are busy. Oh, no. I'll give you a second, right? And they're like, oh, maybe I just should have texted you, but. And so then I said, well, actually, I started correcting them. I got time for you. And I actually left 20% of my schedule free for about the last 10 years. So I blocked off 20% of my schedule for the good stuff that comes in that you're like, yeah, sure, I can make some extra time for that. Hey, what, what about this? And the times I'm most careless and don't see what God's doing are when I've actually put internal limits on my time. Say, I don't have time for that. I don't have energy for that. I can't do that. And it's actually not an external limit many times. And so uh, prob- maybe not true of master's level, but I would say undergrads in college are probably the most unbalanced people I've ever met in the whole universe. <laughs> I mean, who literally has to study with your brain all the time with some breaks in between and then gets a break to do absolutely nothing and is excused to just sleep and do nothing for like a month at a time? It's just this. And you're trying to re-regulate. And you're like, cool, I think I got the swing of the semester. Oh, it's going to be done in three weeks. And then there's this change to more classes. And so it's, it's not built for balance. So it's just an interesting space to learn ex- external limits. And I wouldn't rely on college, uh, university, PhD even, to learn external limits. I'd say now is the time to build in space, margin, Sabbath. Like I'm a massive believer in Sabbath. It's a gift we've left unwrapped. Um, And so, sorry, man, there's so many different directions I can go with that thought, but I just think the principles are at work and apply those principles well to your own life, but they're going to look different for all of us. Does that make sense? Because if I teach you how to do it for me, then maybe 10% of you are going to go, oh, yeah, that would work for me because you're wired similar. The rest of you are going, that's not my jam. But if I say, here are the principles and here's the principle of Sabbath, here's the principle of rest and space and work hard, play hard, then you can go and, and apply those to different seasons. Uh, and I'm actually seeing leaders do it at a younger age than I have ever seen it before. I'm talking with my daughter about tech limits to say like, all right, you can spend a bunch of time on your phone. What is wise? And she's learning that hopefully at 15 to say, it's not exactly the good life. All this uh, anxiety and having to keep up with Snapchat and you know this piece of social media. So we're actually taking two weeks off of that together. I'm talking about how it affects us. And so I'm, I'm 10 days into an experiment to say, I don't think it's got too big of a hold. Let's see, kind of thing. Internal. Nobody's telling me to do that. And by the way, the further you get in any organization, you have less external limits. And you have to put it on yourself, i.e. accountability. Or you can be the emperor with no clothes. And everybody's like, I don't know what he's talking about, but he has the f- power to just keep going and doing them. You know what I mean? further you get up in an organization, the less people actually tell you the truth. Is the scary thing. It's a great question. Um, let me restate it. I think you're asking, how do you balance identity and impact on a regular basis? Um, three really practical things. Number one, Sabbath. One day a week where my position goes out the window. And here's the cool thing about going home to kids. They actually don't give a rip what you do or care at all. I mean, it took me until I was like 30 to be like, man, I think my parents are super smart and actually quite successful. Like, didn't care, didn't think about it. They're just awesome parents. And now I'm like, oh, like, I think others respected them. Wow, like, they worked up ladders and stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, And so Sabbath literally is that space to go, I am not pouring out, I am receiving. And I think, obviously, it's always been important and needed, but I don't know that we've ever been more desperate for that rest than today. And the crazy thing is most people aren't receiving it. It's there, but you, you got to unwrap it. It's a gift. So I'd say number one is Sabbath, like physical space to actually get away from producing, producing anything, to just receive. Like I see differently on Sabbath. I experience differently. I could drink the same coffee in the same place, and it is different. I am receiving. I'm seeing things around me. I'm hearing things around me that I wasn't before. Um, marriage relationship. 
if you're married, I mean, investing in your spouse, because it's the same thing, is that my wife's great to ask me what I did today, um, but she doesn't deeply care. She isn't geeked out about the same things that I'm geeked out about. She doesn't understand why, oh, and this person said this in a coaching session, it changed their life. And she's like, cool, so someone's got to go pick up the kid, you know? And so in that sense, to say like, oh, what's great is that it's the identity piece. She loves me for who I am, warts and all. The great news is on those bad days, too. When you feel like, I failed to everybody else, you go, this could all be intact, and it's all good. <laughs> and then I would just say the investment in my kids. Like, my kids see God in a way that I do not. And I want to again. I read the Jesus Storybook Bible with my kids and go, huh, man, that's a great way to say that. I don't know if I know how to translate that scripture in, in that way. Sally Lloyd-Jones is a genius, and so is everyone else. But she's really a genius, you know? Um, so I think, what's that? She has a genius. Well played. Uh, so I would say those three, Sabbath, time, really investing in your family, not just being around and available, but like deeply present, and then investing in your spouse, your marriage relationship. I see a lot of people leave it on the side, and um, the spouse ends up hating the call that they're... Um, you know, significant other got to ministry, got to that role, and, uh, and ends up presenting the church and saying, you're more in love with the church, you're more in love with your position, you're more in love with the leadership role you have than you are with me. That's just real. So that's really practical. Let me, let me throw out one maybe more thing. It's, it's a posture of reactive versus proactive. Reactive versus proactive. There's actually studies that say that pastors who are proactive about their time are happier, which makes sense, right? If you feel like every emergency that's falling falls on your shoulders, you have to take care of it, that's the person that all the time, a Zoom call with somebody, and he's getting notifications during the call. I'm like, could you at least silence those so I don't know you're getting them? He's like, oh, when it rains, it pours. Like, oh, were we talking? Do you need to call me back? Like, it's super awkward because he can't turn it off. And so it's reactive. Oh, I got to respond to this. You get up today and say, I don't know what the world's going to throw at me. What am I going to do today? Uh, and it gets you in this pattern of actually not looking ahead, and it looks a lot like spiritual poverty. And we're trying to nourish other people, but we're impoverished ourselves, versus proactive. Here's who God's designed me to be. Here's what I'm going to do today, which is beautiful about Sabbath, to say that day is spoken for, taken off, blocked off. Date nights, you know, taken off, blocked off. Time with the Lord, specifically taken off, blocked off. And so time blocking, I'm a huge fan of that. And that's the only way that big projects like writing a book get done. That's the only way that things that you need to, like, you can write a blog post in a couple hours. You can't write a book in a couple hours. You can write one new song for the album. You can't keep putting out albums year after year without blocking that time. And it's being proactive versus reactive, I'd say, is, is kind of the posture. Okay, awesome. Uh, relationship between creativity and conflict. Um, yeah, okay, when we're mediating conflict, great. That's, that's helpful. It channels me a little bit. Um, usually we think there's two decisions. Uh, so here's the principle. When emotions are high, intelligence is low. <laughs> so the worst time to make that decision is right there when you think you have to make that decision. So the best thing you can do is buy yourself time. The first question I ask is, how long do we have to make this decision? What we tend to do, let's get in a room, and we think it's way more spiritual. Let's get in a room and duke it out and not leave until it's done. Well, four hours later, you're exhausted. You were already tired when you walked in. You're stressed, and you're in no good place to make that decision. And so my wife and I are learning this within our marriage, and there may be like tension, conflict, not awful. We don't fight like verbally. We're not verbal people in that sense. But she'll send me an email and say, hey, um, that interaction last night was, was kind of weird. I really didn't mean it that way. It came across. What about this? And let's think about this. And I've got some hours to process it. And then I'll go home and be like, wow, what an amazing woman. And man, I'm so glad that she tended to that. And we go home, we're on a different page. Versus if, if it's 11 o'clock at night and you're trying to duke it out and you're like, the Bible says we're not supposed to be at all mad at each other before we go to sleep. And well, so and we're never going to go to sleep. We didn't sleep all night. Well, then the whole next week you're paying for it, right? And I don't know why. So I just think that overwhelm thing, many times when the emotion is high, when the stress is high, we're trying to make that decision. So I've learned time and preparation is key. Uh, questions take the edge off. And so almost always, when we have a statement to say, we should either not say it or turn it into a question. I mean, almost always. And so it's, huh, like, it takes some creativity 
but I'm literally walking other leaders through this, and they're like, oh, I feel like going to this person. Well, we're probably misunderstanding them. We probably are not seeking to understand first. We're seeking to be understood, and so we already feel entitled that that's a bad start. Um, and I would just say that we, the last one is we usually think there's two decisions. There's either this one or that one. Almost all the coaching I'm doing is, what about a hybrid? And usually there's like six hybrids in that. But we're so stuck in that moment when we're stressed. I was working with a guy who's basically about to be laid off by his church. And so it's either like, well, you could take this role and stay with us or be laid off. And I'm like, okay, what are the hybrid roles? How long do you have for this decision to be made? Because he's not in a healthy spot. If he can get a few nights of sleep, maybe a little bit of exercise, maybe a little bit of time to breathe, he's going to make a better decision. Uh, I guess you could have a few weeks, a few months. And so now we're, okay, what are three or four potential hybrids that could work for you? And we're really getting somewhere. And we'll have 10 times of a better decision. I think the same thing works when two people are at odds. There's usually misunderstanding. Like, that's one of the most painful things in leadership is misunderstanding. And a lot of times accusations just come from not understanding where somebody's coming from. The most painful things ever, the, the dad that's across the room from me telling me, why did you do this? And why did you say this? Um, what felt so painful going home that night, watching, you're getting embarrassed watching my wife and others just see me take it that night, is to say, he doesn't understand I did that for the good of his daughter. That's what hurts, isn't it? But in that moment, he didn't ask me, why did you do this? He's like, I know why, and I'm going to rip him a new one for that. And so get at the heart of it. What is the misunderstanding there? And if you can build some process in there, then I think it makes it less emotional. And let me just say this too. The closer the proximity, the more boundaries you have to have, period. So you can live an hour away from somebody and just kind of hang out. Every month, you could go eat a meal together. The moment they live next door, or actually they move in your basement, you better have some conversations. Are you expected every time there's dinner? Are you buying the groceries? Uh, are you cleaning the bathroom? The closer the proximity, the greater the boundaries that are needed. And so that's why work, shared space can be so tough, because you feel like, man, I don't know if I can just show up tomorrow with the same kind of thought or feeling. And so you may have to build the process a little bit sooner and be more, have more boundaries in it. And I would say resilience isn't exactly the same as longevity. You could actually have longevity, but you could pull your heart away from something for a long time and just exist. And I wouldn't call that resilience. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so resilience is that attitude, but it is, uh, and they define it in there, which I really appreciated. It is the ability uh, to overcome change or failure. <laughs> and so change, like change, and, and somebody I think earlier said change management. Today, it's actually change leadership. Any organization that tries to manage change today will be obsolete because change is leadership work and it's wilderness. And so I think the resilience, it's posture, not just existing. It's a choice to get back up a choice to continue. Again, failure is one of those where we're like, oh man, failed, like lost the championship, got to get back up next year. That feels extreme. But what about change? There's some leaders that literally go, there's just too much going on and I, and I just got to jump off the bus um, before they were released, uh, before they felt like God said, move on, or there's another opportunity, or is this the right you know, space to do that? So I'd say it's more about posture um, and the choice than it is about just existing. Now, Sometimes surviving is thriving. When we're grieving and when life is hard, just keep showing up. Like right after adoption for us, I don't remember much of those four or so years. We certainly didn't sleep much. And people are like, how are you doing? And I'm like, God's reminding me that sometimes surviving is thriving. Like just to keep going, it's just a season of faithfulness. There are seasons, there are seasons of, I think, great impact, but it was a season of honing the who we were. And so I see resilience deeply connected to identity. Because if you say, I am a, a child of the king, then I have the king's resources to go do my work. And man, I'm not feeling the king's resources today. God, I'm going to need several cups of coffee to get me to even believe I have the ability you know, to, to do that. So I think that's, that's the, the space. Um, let me quickly talk about one thing that I just wrote down for you guys. I was thinking about on the way up here today. Um, criticism versus misunderstanding. 
Criticism is different from misunderstanding. Misunderstanding, I talk about for just a second, is painful, but it is, it is different. You will be misunderstood in leadership, and that's part of why leadership will feel lonely at times. And misunderstanding, there's that, oh, you, you don't know. By the way, parenting is misunderstanding. Being in a relationship and doing something for the best, holding boundaries. People are not pumped that you have boundaries. They're like, oh, no, I just wanted to hang out with them. Why didn't they want to come out at 10 p.m.? Well, because they've got this really important meeting at 5 a.m. tomorrow, and they want to be healthy you know, and, and ready coming into that. And so misunderstanding is painful, but it's just a difference of opinion on that. And criticism is just when people come directly and frontally say, I disagree with that. And I think misunderstanding is more painful than criticism. Because people tell you, oh, you're going to have critics, and once in a while you have those. I think we have a high threshold for it. But if you feel misunderstood and lonely, you're like, well, nobody gets me, and this isn't my space. And the last piece, too, leadership is lonely. Uh, I buy that, and I don't buy that at the same time. Uh, Loneliness is different from isolation. Loneliness is a feeling. Guess what? You're human. You will feel lonely. Let me just normalize that. You'll feel lonely inside of a good marriage. You'll feel lonely inside of great friendships. That does not mean you have a bad marriage. That doesn't mean you're in a bad workplace. It doesn't mean you're in a terrible ministry. It doesn't mean that you need a better small group. Like at times, it will just feel lonely. God will be with you. You'll know it. You'll have a team. You'll know you're doing the right thing, and you'll feel lonely. But isolation is a choice. It's a way of life where you say, because of that loneliness, I'm going to choose based on a feeling to pull away and put space between me and others. That is a choice. And so I want to get in the middle of this and say, leadership is lonely. Yes, I buy that in this definition. But leaders, we cannot isolate. We need these spaces. We need spaces of vulnerability. We need tables. We need safe spaces. If you can't talk about it in your church, go talk about it to another pastor, another leader. You need somebody who's not impressed by you, i.e. a friend. You need someone who doesn't need you, i.e. a friend. You need someone you're going to disappoint and they still come back to you, i.e. a friend, to be able to be with. Um, Last thing, guys, the abundant life, like, it's actually possible. Like, leadership can be great. There's a whole lot of horror stories out there today. Um, Leadership can be amazing. Steward it well. And, man, when you're living out your identity, I promise you, God surprises you with all kinds of impact. Um, Thanks for having me here today. Uh, Tim, take it. So long.